You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Nah, nah, nah. Oh, what's a happening nah? Yep, bring it back like the, uh, the the southern rap of the mid 2000s. It's your boy Doc Coyle, the X Man. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I mean, I guess people do people tune in to podcasts. I guess they download them, listen at their own uh, convenience. No, seriously. Thanks for for checking out the show. Our last episode with. Mark Hunter from the band Chimera was our biggest episode by far, which is incredible. Thank you guys for checking out the new people. You know, I, I imagine it's our biggest episode. That means we have a lot more new listeners. So I hope you guys, the, the new the new listeners, you're checking out some of the old episodes and enjoying it. And hopefully you'll you'll stay on. I'll, I'll try not to bore you. Um you know, right now is a pretty crazy time for me. I am about as busy as I have ever been. Um, I have, I'm in multiple bands. I have a band called Vegas Nerve, which a lot of you know about. And then it was just announced this week. Another band I'm in called Bad Wolves, which was formerly called Eye of Tongues, with uh, a couple of the X-Men guests, John Berklin and Tommy Vexed. So um, that just got announced, and there's a music video and single coming out. I'll probably play that on the show. I am, right now, I am woodshedding to fill in for a, a big heavy metal band, um, or you know, b- big enough, a, a, an established band, um, for a tour I'm filling in with. It's not, I can't talk about it yet, but I've been spending all my time working on that. It is a band probably a lot of you like, so I'm working on that. I've been uh, bartending at Coachella uh, between last weekend and this weekend, and that is a lot of work. I, I, I tell you, it is a lot of fucking work. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's funny. A lot, a lot of times I'll do stuff like that, and people will come up to me, you know, almost surprised, you know, that I'm, I'm doing work like that. Not to uh, denigrate the work, but I just think it's it's interesting how people have... A perception of you when you've been on stage or you've been on television or you know you have this notoriety and there's a, a skewed expectation of, of what you're supposed to be or how you're supposed to carry yourself when you're you know out of out of the spotlight and I tell you I didn't really come to doing things like that till later in life really till my to my 30s and I say it, it is a really beneficial thing to just do normal ass work <laughs> after, um, you know, just, you know, being in a band and, and, and struggling through that, because in a lot of ways, I think when you can make your money doing other things besides music, you can, you don't have to rely on the music to, to pay your bills and you can just do it because you want to do it. And I think it's a, it's a lesson I learned a lot later in life, but, um, it's, it's, it's really, really valuable for me. I think that um, you know, just hard work in general is is good for our souls. It is uh, it is humbling, especially doing service work and 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 to have to be accountable to a customer and look people in the eye and engage, engage with people. It uh, it all works together. And my whole thing is, there's a lot of people out there that uh, wish they were working and they are not. So I uh, I I thank uh, whoever I you know the the atheist. Jesus in the sky, whoever that is, I want to thank him or or her or Shim. You know, if it's a goat or a you know fish or whatever, um, you know, thank you, thank you, th- thank you for the work. No, seriously, actually, on that on that note, uh, a moment of gratitude. I've been uh, thinking about all the opportunities and everything I'm working on, and all these things that are just kind of happening for me, and you know, I almost every day. I kind of 
you know, pinch myself and say, thank you. Thank you for, for, for everything because you have to, you know, I think there's a lot, you know, you'll see on this show, a lot of times I'll talk to these musicians who've had these great heights and they never took time to smell the roses. They never took time to be grateful for the things that were happening, the great things that were happening in the moment that they were happening. So I'm going to do that. You know, and I suggest all you do that every every day. If you got a roof over your head, if you, you don't have some debilitating disease, if you have food to eat, if you have friends and family, definitely take a moment. Say, you know what? Things could be a lot worse. Unfortunately, I think we spend the majority of our time collectively, well, I'd say at least in, in America, I can't speak for the whole world, but in America, we spend a lot of our time thinking about what we don't have or what's wrong. But I bet you if you put some time into it and thought about what's right, you probably have a much better ratio in your favor. So enough of me yammering on. I would like to do a little promo here for one of the Jabberjaw Media podcasts. Uh, What we do, you know, part of having a podcast network is we help promote each other's shows. And I think that is incredible. The show I want to talk about right now is one called The Modern Vinyl Podcast, and it combines colorful conversations overheard at your neighborhood record store. Remember record stores? With insightful criticism that goes beyond the surface noise. You want to check them out at modern-vinyl.com, and you can find them on your favorite podcast app by searching Modern Vinyl Podcast or through the jabberjawmedia.com website. The, some of their upcoming episodes are interviews with the likes of Jay Psalm and Plumtree, along with discussions on the Vagrant Records catalog, their annual Record Store Day award show, and the conclusion of their Revisiting the Smith series. So before we get into our interview with Peter Ewers, ex-bass player of In Flames, I wanted to play a song that I co-wrote with Jamie Josta from Hatebreed. And this is for his his solo band, which is called Josta, of course. Um, in this particular song, I I basically actually I wrote him probably about three three songs, and I guess this was the first one that he used. And pretty much, I wrote all the music except for the bridge riff. That kind of sounds like it could have been Crowbar or something. But you know, I've known Jamie a long time. He was so generous to God forbid would bring us on tour and was always just a real champion and, and supporter. So, and also, you know, Hatebreed was one of the first, I'd say true hardcore bands or hardcore scene bands that I was a really big fan of. And to, you know, to have a type of working relationship and have someone like that, you know, sing on your material or be interested in material, it's a, it's, it's a great honor. So, I, you know, I just want to thank him so much for, for having me aboard. I'm, I'm really, really excited with the way this uh, song came out because they actually re-recorded my guitars and whoever played the guitars on it, you know, really kicked ass. And, uh, and this song, Howard Jones of Killswitch Engage and Devil You Know fame ended up doing a guest vocal on it. So yeah, I, th- I figured, you know, I'm working on stuff. I want you guys to hear it. So I want you to check it out. This is from the new Josta EP, I guess. I don't know if it's an EP or an LP. It's it's nine tracks. It's called The Lost Chapters, and it just came out. And the song is called Chasing Demons.
So I hope you guys liked that. Uh, that was a lot of fun to work on, and and uh, it's a cool record. Definitely, definitely pick it up. So I want to talk about our friend, Mr. Peter Iwers, uh, the ex-bass player from In Flames. Um, I was actually trying to talk to him on their last tour that they did with Hell Yeah, because he had announced previous to the tour that it was going to be his last. And, you know, we... we God forbid it was luckily to do some shows with In Flames and they were such a huge influence on us. And it, you know, I'd say almost probably more than any other interview I've done, or I wouldn't call these interviews. These are, these are conversations of, out of all the conversations I've had, this is the one where I felt the most and boy of probably any of the other guests. They were, In Flames was such a big influence on my playing and just as something to aspire to. And I just think they're one of the bands that has had one of the best careers, you know, despite their changes. And I know a lot of people disagree. Some people like the old stuff. Some people like the new stuff. Um, but they just mean a lot to me personally. So uh, I can't thank him enough for, for coming on. And uh, one other thing about this interview, there are some spots where the audio, where his audio drops a bit and it might be a little hard to hear. Uh, so I apologize about that. Uh, he was actually doing this interview from his car and because he was at his brewery at the time working. So, and I was doing it at 1 AM and he was in the morning. So I, I think I was a little thrown off. I didn't really realize he didn't have his headphones in. So I apologize about that. It is definitely a grand experiment with uh, some of the technical aspects of, of getting some of these episodes to you guys. I prefer to do them in person, but I've been doing a lot of Skype episodes lately because I just, I want to get the pe- the right people and I don't want to let distance be a deal breaker. So, you know, it it is a work in progress with that. So I hope it's not too much of a distraction and yeah, check this out. This is my discussion with Peter Iwers, the ex-bass player from In Flames. I don't know if you followed the show at all or the theme. No, I, I read the reason why I um, why I texted you or emailed you uh, was because I read the interview you did with Mark, mm-hmm. Mark Hunter. I oh that's right we're gonna do that so I figured yeah that's what, so I don't really follow it because I don't have time yeah I do stuff right now so when I'm home basically I just chill out turn off the internet and just you know hang with the kids and then uh, the wife and uh, try to not pay too much attention to anything but I know about it of course and I've I've read that interview and I liked it you know and uh, and plus we said in in uh, back in um, last year in December that we were gonna do this so I, I thought it would be really cool to do because I haven't really done anything like this before. Yeah. One of the big themes of the show is, you know, came from my experience of leaving a band and trying to figure out what the hell I was doing. You know, I Mm -hmm. think perhaps it seems like you're in a much different uh, scenario because you already had things in the works and you kind of you have a home life, you have a family. So it wasn't as much of a of a mystery. But I find, you know, and I guess you have a similar similar situation as Mark, where he, you know, left the music business and kind of went somewhere else. And I know you're still working on music and doing something, but in terms of your day to day, I guess doing the brewery and that stuff is that that's your like, quote unquote, day job, I guess you would say. Well, what I do now is I have I have the restaurant still with Bjorn, uh, 2112. Yeah. Uh, so we do that. Uh, we have uh, amazing staff who, who runs it for us. Uh, as far as the day-to-day business goes down there, but uh, we are we do everything behind the scenes as far as licenses, uh, economy, and all that stuff. Uh, I try to be some sort of um, manager, but I don't really need to because I'm usually in the way. Yeah. But that it takes a little bit of time, of course, out of my day. So right now we're trying to uh, get this brewery national in Sweden, um, and that takes time. So that's I guess that's my uh, main priority right now. But at the same time, I'm making another record with the new band Syrah, with uh, Jesper who was in, in Flames, yeah. and Jake, Jake, a guy who was in a band called Amaranth, mm-hmm. and Ad, who's in uh, Luca Turilis Rhapsody, and like a really well hired session drummer. Uh, so we're doing that. Plus, I write other music at the time, so I'm really keeping busy. But I'm like yeah. you said before, 
you know, I, I'd like to spend my day doing stuff that I like. And I try to focus instead, you know, I do today's beer. Tomorrow will be restaurant maybe. And Wednesday I'm going to write a song with somebody that I'm collabing with. And on Thursday we're going to, you know, <laughs> so I'm trying to do it like that. No, that's, um, that's, that's pretty amazing. What's the new band like? Is it still the same kind of melodic heavy metal kind of style or going something different? It's it's so hard to describe because I've never been a person who actually thought about the genres that I was that we were playing with in Flames. We were just making music, right? So the same thing for me. Everybody asks me, I don't really know what to tell them. It it is a lot of melodies. It is metal, definitely. It's no extreme vocals. It's uh, all clean. Yeah. Um, you can definitely hear the touch of Jesper's uh, guitar playing on it. A lot of. Uh, a lot of harmonies, a lot of melodies, and and some really cool riffing. Jake's voice is really um, amazing as well, and I think that that you know the people that liked Amaranth is really going to recognize the clean parts of Amaranth in 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 his voice. And of course, Alex and I we put our touch into it. And I don't know how to describe it. It, it is melodic metal. It's not melodic death metal. Did you do a lot of metal. writing with In Flames? No, I did not. Uh, I did. I only wrote my own bass parts, basically. Yeah. It was it was decided that Bjorn and uh, Anders wrote the music, and before when Jesper was in the band, he wrote the music, and I was always fine with that because I was always able to do my own bass parts. And yeah, I wrote. I always been writing on the side, but never for In Flames really, as except for my touch and except for all the all the little bass riffs you hear in the songs and the little uh, uh, licks here and there. They're all mine, but um, as far as the riffs go uh, went, uh, it's all Bjorn uh, and Jesper. Do do bass players get enough respect <laughs> in metal? Are, are we the are you the forgotten men? You know. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I had a, I had a great time. I had uh, some amazing years. Uh, I've never felt forgotten, actually. No, not at all. And I I can't stress this enough. This is not me bitching about it. This is just how it was, and I was I was fine with that. Yeah. So, you leaving the band was it was it a long time coming? Is it something you've been thinking about for a while? Yeah, I think I have. Uh, in retrospect, I wasn't aware that I was thinking it, about it. I just, I guess going back about a year or so, I, I just started feeling that I wasn't, uh, at, I wasn't happy, you know, my my body was aching and I, was, I wasn't satisfied 100% mm -hmm. uh, with everything around it. I was always happy on stage. But as you know, you know, being on tour, there's another 22 and a half hours every day. And uh, it wasn't anything in particular. It was just that I just felt it coming that I wasn't feeling, I wasn't feeling well. Yeah. And once I figured out what it was, once I took that decision, okay, this is, this is what it is. And I spoke to the guys, guys, I got to leave. I'm sorry. I got to leave. I got to do something else. That's when I started feeling well again. Mm -hmm. So, but I didn't know at the time when I started feeling it, that, that, you know, what the solution to my problem was, or would we? I just needed to do something else. It was just everybody wants the big drama thing, and you know, but it wasn't like that. We just, uh, I just wanted to move on. You know, I, I felt it was time to do something different. I'm 41 years old, and I've been doing this for, you know, 20 years. Almost. 20 years, half your, half your. It's literally, it's the same thing with me. I was, I started doing. God forbid, we weren't called that at the time, but I was 16, and I left the band when I was 32. So yeah. it's literally the exact same same thing of half, half your life. And I don't think people, a lot of people outside of, you know, bands, you know, I had X amount of success and In Flames had a much even bigger impact that people don't understand is once you actually get success and you actually do fulfill your dreams, you, in a way, you have to find new ways of satisfying yourself or, or, you know, the, the bridge has been crossed. So it's like, all right, yeah. I'm here. I've done it. But then I think for you guys, like one of the, you know, from the outside looking in, I noticed you guys were just very consistent. It mm -hmm. seems like you, you're very diligent about your recording process in terms of you never went too long without an album. You never went too long without a tour. The band seemed to always have a certain level. Did it ever feel like groundhog day or or just boring or kind of doing the same things or repetitive never boring definitely groundhog day sometimes yeah absolutely waking up in a new city going up doing the same thing but i always try to uh, to uh, 
stop and take a breather and, and remember where I was, you know, because I I never wanted it to be a blessé. Is that an English word? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I always wanted to. So I always wanted to enjoy what I did and, and try and do um, try and take my time with everything and try and appreciate everything I did. So whenever I felt like I was doing it, you know, all over again, uh, I mean, Groundhog Day is one day of looking at it, you know, Saturday every every night is another way of looking at it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it depends on how you, what you make of the situation. Um, I, I gotta say, and this is not just being diplomatic. I, I I just thinking I was I was really fortunate to be able to do this for so long and doing this and traveling, making music, uh, meeting people, seeing new places, and playing in front of people and with bands that I love and stuff like that has been amazing, and I love that, and I, and I'm I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, I've been asked a couple of times why I left, you know, to try to try to explain it in words, and I can't. Yeah, it's all about the feeling, you know. I, I try to live my life having uh, a good feeling about everything that I do. I'm trying to live my life with uh, a good vibe, do what I want. Again, like you said, spend my day doing what I love. And uh, one when I figured out that this wasn't, it wasn't that I didn't love it. It's just that I needed to do something else to be more fulfilled. So you're married with children? Yeah. How many how many kids do you have? I have three kids. Three kids. What, what are the ages? Uh, four, eight, and 17. So, I mean, I'm going, maybe, you know, I don't want to be uh, out of my bounds, but I'm assuming that that probably had a big deal to, to do with it. Or is that, would that be, might be mistaken thinking that? Or is that, I don't know. No. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I don't mind touring. Uh that's do you, why it's but so do they food. mind? Are they like, "Daddy, come home"? Or is your wife giving you crap and <laughs> that no, whole thing? No, she's actually very. She's very cool. She was never, never ever gave me crap. But this, yeah, uh, no, uh, they were always very supportive. Of course, the kids want their dad to be home, but at the same time, this is they grew up like this, so they didn't do anything else. You know, yeah. I, I go went out and worked, and I never mind touring, and I, I'm not going to mind touring with a new band or any other projects that come my way either it was just time to to switch jobs basically you know have you have you thought about the whole prospect of you know you're at one level right you guys you're playing theaters or you're in in where you live you guys are you know you're playing arenas and you're in this whole level does does it ever come up to you about having to start at the bottom and yeah uh, of course is that is that daunting or is that scary or is that weird i don't know it's a bit humbling, I'd say. Uh, well, I, I can tell you firsthand it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I spent all this time doing what I did, and I, I'd like to think that I always appreciated it and, and always was a nice guy and all that stuff. But So I'd like to think that karma you know, has something to do with whatever comes. But at the same time, we, we're we not really thinking of that now. We, we're going to try and do something that's good for us with a new band. Uh if it happens to be in front of 50 people in a basement and we are happy, we'll do it. Yeah. If it's in front of 15,000 people, we'll do that too. But I mean, that's obviously a cliche to say, I know that, <laughs> you know, but, but it's, it, it is like that, you know, it's, it's all about happiness right now. You know, it's all about doing what we love. Well, I can and tell that, you, I can tell you the some, next step to see where, where we went, where we go. I can tell you as someone who started a new band and is, you know, playing the bar in front of 50 people, um, you definitely, you, it becomes very clear whether or not you're doing it for the right reasons. Of course, yeah. Because there, there is no, you know, immediate glory. You know, I mean, obviously, I'm sure many people leave big bands and then the next thing they do, it it explodes and they kind of never miss a step. But, you know, I'm not doing that. So I'm kind of really starting from the bottom. But in a way, I kind of enjoy the challenge, you know, of saying, all right, there's no crutch. Yeah, in a, in a way, it's like if you can, and if you can take something from zero to ten, that I think that experience is, um, you know, it's it, it gives you that same gratification, you know, because there there is a definitive challenge in front of you. Yeah, I'm not really thinking about all that stuff. We right, we wrote written music, we recorded music, recording right now actually, uh, and the next step is to go out and play, and we're just gonna have to you know, take it as it comes and, and wing it. Uh, I guess I'm a very, I'm a person who likes to stay busy and I have a lot of ideas and that's why I do all these other 
stuff. That's why I started the, uh, well, joined the brewer, I'd say, because Daniel started it. And that's why Björn and I started the restaurant. And that's why I have the band and the, the songwriting partners and all that stuff and, and other upcoming projects uh, that I do. Because I like to stay busy. Yeah. And um, I don't know. That makes me happy. And that keeps me satisfied. A lot of people ask me, how can you do these five different things? Don't you get stressed? I was like, no. I guess you get a little stressed when you ask me if I'm stressed. But other than that, I'm just having a good time and I'm doing stuff that I love. So when we come out and play, um, let's see where we end up. You know, Hopefully uh, we'll have fun wherever. Well, I, th- I think it's interesting that you're doing something with Daniel. You're doing something with Jesper. Um, is it, you know, do, did, do you and those two guys have kind of a, do you feel like your experiences in terms of wanting to exit the band is there's some similarities there? Have you guys spoken about that at all? Or is it, do, do you have your own journey, so to speak? Yeah, no, we haven't really spoken about it uh, now. It's just that everybody was ready to leave at, at different times, you know. Jesper left, you know, what is uh, like 10 years ago or something, nine years ago, uh, for his reasons, as all of you know, I'm sure. Uh, and um, Daniel left for his reasons, and I'm leaving for my reasons. I, I, I don't know. We haven't really discussed it. Yeah. I just know that this was right for me to do. You know, I loved being on stage and playing for for the fans and for all friends that were there. I loved that, and I will never regret that at all. But as far as me leaving, it was just something I had to go with, a feeling I had to follow. Yeah. It's um, – no, because I, I, I think about those those guys, and I'm, I'm very much a fan of those bands where it's the same group. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob Podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. Yeah, you know, of course. You would, would look, would look at those bands. Was that ever, you know, like you said, you're speaking about feelings and how mm-hmm. it feels. Did it ever feel not as in flames once those two guys left because it was solid those five guys for how long what 12 13 years or something like that or yeah yeah no it did not at all actually um niklas came in uh, when jesper left and he was filled with uh, 
so much positive energy and and just you know he's he made us i don't know how to he just came in and he had this vibe and this energy about music and playing live and he's it's just it's so energetic and that really it was contagious and we needed that at that time yeah. because uh what had happened before and um when daniel quit joe came in he was younger he had you know a lot of energy as well he, he did a lot of um a lot of positive energy come from a different part i no, I, I never thought about it like that and i you know being in the band you just try to do what makes you happy of course and you don't really think about stuff like that this is something i know a lot of fans think about but at the same time we did this because we wanted to make music and have a good time and as for the same reasons as they continue now without me and they should you know uh it's uh it's about doing what makes you happy and if if certain people leaves along the way and if you want to continue and and everything's fine with everybody then that's good i think no definitely um you mind talking about uh some of the old days a little bit sure so i gotta i gotta tell you i don't know if i've, I've even told you this um but god forbid played within flames on your first tour the one with moonspell moonspell yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so it was at a New Jersey club called Obsessions. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and so the story, so I think this would be a good story for the listeners too. So this club, we were supposed to play there, you know, maybe six months before that with Seven Dust. And we had to okay. sell tickets, right? They would make local bands sell tickets. And we didn't sell enough tickets. And they said, you have to play after Seven Dust. And we were like pissed off. We're like, all right. But guess what? The club closed before we got to play. So like wow. Seven Dust is playing, like stick around, see our guys, and God forbid, and they shut the club down. And it was like it really, it like it was this moment in our career where we were just so angry that we, yeah, of course. we, we were like we must get revenge. And then so right around the time you guys were playing, we were getting ready to sign our deal with Century Media, and we were kind of making some noise in Jersey. So we we told the club owner we're like, listen. We're we're signed to Century Media, so you're gonna put us on this show, <laughs> and we're not selling any tickets. <laughs> okay. So yeah, and he 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 did. We, I think we had to play like first or second. Like high school kids played after us, but we didn't care because we just we wanted to play with you guys because we were big fans. And I have to say that day changed our whole band career because cool. bef- because before that we were very our music was real crazy. It was like hectic and like 50 parts in one song and was kind of noisy and you know and you guys were the first metal band i think i ever saw that smiled on stage (laughs) (laughs) and like you (laughs) because the music like it was you know you guys are a metal band but there's a lot of rock and roll in what you guys do a lot of like big chords and just those those kind of um you know, the grooves are very much of a, like a rock band, you yeah. know, what it kind of ro- reminded me of, of me. And, and it and it made me like it was just very, very in- influential. And I think if you look at that tour, so we opened the New Jersey show and then Darkest Hour, I think, opened for you guys either in D.C. or Baltimore or wherever you played. And then Kill Switch and Shadows Fall both open for you guys in, in yeah. Worcester. So in yeah. a in a way, like, I don't know how how much you know about this, but I, I definitely feel like that tour and you guys coming there, it in a way launched our scene, you know, because it, that's very flattering. Thank you. Now I, I knew, I knew about uh, darkest hour and I knew about uh, kill switch. I, I didn't know about you, but I do, I do remember that show though in uh, New Jersey. I remember walking around with our bus driver, Larry the whole day. And that was my first time in New Jersey. And I only seen it in movies. Right. So, and we just walked around and looked at everything, and then we played that show. And uh, well, there's not no. much around there. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm thinking about Brooklyn. Sorry. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, I do remember the Jersey show though, but the the Larry part was was Brooklyn. Well, I think my brother actually had a video of the show, and it's it exists somewhere. But I remember people. There wasn't like that many people there. It was maybe like 250, 300 people. <laughs> but I remember people went ape shit when you guys played. Like you would have thought it, there was a thousand people there by the the enthusiasm 
amazing for us. It was we had played one show in in um, Milwaukee on Mil- Milwaukee Metal Fest. I remember uh, like the summer before, uh, the yeah. same summer, and then we came over. Uh, this was I think was it like late November or something. I probably I don't remember the exact uh, time of year, but. It's interesting because Milwaukee Metal Fest, you guys did your first show in the U.S. there. Meshuga, the first, their first um, appearance there, and also Opeth. Yeah. Actually, because I, I, I was actually, I watched Opeth the first time they ever played in, in the U.S. was was there. So that was a, a really foundational event. But yeah, that, that tour, it was just, so I remember just, we, like, we had that video and it was, we were just, it just changed everything. You know, yeah. for us, what was it like in Sweden at that time? Because I feel like a lot of the narrative about heavy metal during the 90s was metal was dead in the 90s. Metal was, you know, no one cared. And to me, I saw all this creative, like, explosion coming out mm. of Europe and coming out of the U.S. in the underground. And I guess it was more underground. But... And you guys basically essentially started in the mid to nineties, early that that kind of what, what was it like? Did you feel like metal was dead, or you just you just didn't even care or whatever? No, actually, we didn't really care. <laughs> uh, we, I mean, I think that's the thing. A lot of times, uh, when you're in it, you don't really care. You don't. You just focus on having fun and playing music. I remember we worked really hard to get over to the U.S. We really wanted to tour there and. Uh, and it, it, it took forever, it seemed, but it only took like two years until uh, until we came over uh, since since I joined, because I joined in '97 uh, just as they had recorded Oracle. And we thought we went out promoting that record, and uh, then we met Colony, and that's when we came came over. So it, it didn't take that long, uh, but at that time, you know, then you know, it, it felt like forever. But I, I, we never really thought about metal. I, I do remember though how when the grunge came in and killed all the hair metal. Yeah. Basically. I do remember that because I was a huge hair metal fan. I still am. I love 80s music. Uh, and the grunge came in and all of that stuff just died. Uh, that's what I remember. But metal was never dead for us. You know, Gothenburg was exploding with all these great, uh, uh, or Gothenburg, Sweden, all of Sweden, with all of these great uh, metal acts, I think. Well, I remember Michael from uh, Opeth was saying, though, that even though there were all these bands, there weren't a lot of fans like that. Like it was still very underground. It was almost because everyone was yep. a musician. So it was the, that it was still, like it, it didn't really pop there till later. Yeah. It, it, that's exactly true. Every, every time we came home from a tour and that took a long time, people were asking us, Oh, so what do you do? I'm a musician. Oh, okay. So you play at, you know, and then they said the name of the local pub and it's like, no, I've been, I've just been, tour in europe no it's like, oh, okay okay but nobody ever knew and you know all the um all the people around us thought oh that's so happy you can be out and play with your friends and have to have a good time maybe now it's time to grow up and get a job and and that you know tired bullshit uh, but all of a sudden sweden looked up uh, at us and metal and we we got a little bit of recognition and the whole scene opened up and it made metal huge in sweden and i think that um that definitely helped us as far as because you know when you're when you're uh, out touring and have a good time and then you come home and nobody know, you know knows what you're doing and nobody really really recognizes you as a real band or stuff like that. It was just uh, very uh, I was very grateful when that happened. That you know not that I wanted to be you know recognized uh, as far as or or you know that the band got famous, but just that I remember just feeling that our band was taken seriously in Sweden as well. And yeah. that was really cool. When did you actually start to make a living? Because the thing that's always fascinating about me is I feel like now uh, yeah. they kind of fast track bands, right? So you have a new band and the label's like, all right, you need to tour for a year and sleep on, on the ground and eat shit and <laughs> just, but then I noticed a lot of the European bands, it seems like we wouldn't see you guys over here until you had released four or five albums. And you were kind of, by the time you came to America, you were very developed. And, yeah. and the band was more more seasoned. Whereas, like, I feel like now there's much more of a, we want, we sign a new band and we want them to be what they're going to be right now. 
instead of just letting that happen. When did you guys actually, you know, when did it go from being a part-time thing to this is our jobs? Yeah, it was always a full-time thing, uh, but it was never a full-time thing that made us money. Um, I guess it's... How did you survive? We, we worked odd jobs here and there, you know, you, you took your time. We had, um, some of us had help from uh, from uh, the unemployment uh, registry. I don't know what it's called in, in America, but, you know, when, you, uh, when, you, when you're unemployed, you get a certain certain check with basically nothing but at least you you can pay your rent and stuff like that yeah uh some uh just saving up not not having really any high living expenses you know and uh, and when we went on tour we usually made a little bit of money so you could put in that and, and do and kind of divide that into until you made your next so i'm, I'm going to cut in on our interview with peter real quick to do another promo for one of the jabberjaw media podcasts this one is called Poor Taste, as in P-O-U-R, and it is the go-to source for all things cocktail. Through years of consultation work with hotels, restaurants, and bars, John and Lindsay Yeager are now bringing their cocktail and spirit prowess to the Poor Taste podcast. Each week, John discusses spirit and cocktail history while guiding guests through recipes. The podcast also features award-winning authors, spirit importers, and tastemakers to discuss trends and other tidbits from today's cocktail community. So check that out. So you, so so and you so you joined during Horacle, right? I joined when Horacle was recorded, um, okay. just before it came out. Okay. Did you record on it, or you just kind of showed up? <laughs> I just showed up. Uh, actually, Nicholas and I, who's in uh, playing guitar now, he we joined together in '97. Because uh, Bjorn was still playing drums, yeah. and Bjorn started <laughs> I'm playing. <laughs> I'm trying to picture that. I can't picture it. Yeah. He plays drums on uh, on both Oracle and Jess Race. I know he did, but I still can't picture it. I know <laughs> it intellectually. Then, I know it, but I can't see it. Then, uh, then he started playing guitar. Nicholas quit, and Daniel came aboard, and I guess that's when we started touring for real you know back in uh, 98 99 yeah somewhere somewhere that's when we started touring a lot and did all these things and um i guess since then we've been sort of uh, able to make a living of it you know not well but still we, we were able to focus on it at least and everything else came second you know uh we won't want to there was no jobs i can't go on tour because i have a job we all went on tour because we wanted. To, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to to um, make the band grow and have a good time on the road, basically, and nothing else mattered. Yeah, well, that's listen. That's the same experience we we had. We essentially once we got a record deal, we were like, we you know we had a manager, and we all said, all right, we're all just going to move home with our parents, and just not know we're not going to make money for X amount of time, and just grind it and, and take advantage of the opportunity while. It exists, you know, I think mm -hmm. when you're in that position, especially when you, you know, and you know, you know, when what you're doing is special and that there's something there, you know, because I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't know when you started, but I remember when we were sucked <laughs> and you weren't <laughs> and you didn't have something special. And that was very obvious to when all of a sudden like, oh, wait a second, we actually kind of onto something and you realize, hey, this is we may never have this opportunity again with these people and you and that that commitment and that dedication is it feeds itself you know i th i think to what what eventually becomes that success you know yeah for sure what um so here's the thing so about all the us american bands cuz we were we all just worshiped all the all the swedish bands i think to a certain degree we still do and i would and no, but I think there's a, there's a reason is that when you kind of look at it in a, in a broad sense, there's a level of musicianship that seemed to be a step ahead uh, of, of, of most of the world. And I've heard a few theories, like I've heard that, well, they teach music in the schools and yeah. and that they're, that the government sometimes helps bands out uh with with stuff so all, is that yep. all that is true yeah that's true but i think a lot of time first i gotta say that you know you guys are i mean there's so many great bands in america you know we got we got god forbid obviously uh 
Dr. Sauer, like I said, Kill Switch Engage, you got Shadows Fall, you got Devil Driver, Hatebreed, and you know, going up like Slipknot and all that. There's so many great musicians and so many great bands, and you got um, SLA Dying. Oh, yeah, tons. Um, some of them, Wolf, or, you know, so I have a lot of bands on Earth that I love, you know. Uh, I think, I don't know what it is. I've been asked that question a gazillion times. I, I think that definitely has something to do with it. You know, we were able to, to borrow rehearsal space. It never cost us any money. If we didn't have equipment, they had equipment there that we could borrow. Who's they? Uh, where did, where was these? Where, who sorry? let you borrow it? The government. Are you serious? They had like, yeah, they had every, in the school, in the basements, they usually had like rehearsal spaces and there they had equipment for everybody to borrow. You had to sign up, you had to become a member and do all that stuff and you had to do a certain amount of hours because those hours were then deducted towards a fee that they got so that they can keep on providing instruments for the kids, you know. And that was great. And then I, I guess Sweden, especially Gothenburg, is so small, so everybody knew each other and everybody was inspired by each other. Uh, helping each other out, you know, with one band, let's say at the gates, they became big very fast. And then you had uh, Dark Tranquility at the time, they could open up for them. You had uh, uh, Ceremonial Oath, who opened up for them. You had In Flames, same thing. That was before my time. And everybody was always helping each other out. And I think that this was, all of these are key ingredients to to why it is like it is, why the music is uh, has been so, I don't know, so uh, successful. In Sweden, that it was just every there was as far as I understand, as far as I grew up, there was never ever any rivalry. It was always just a good time. Everybody was just helping each other out, which is funny because now that I've gotten into this beer business with the brewery, it's the same thing. There's like I don't know 400 breweries in Gothenburg or something, and everybody's giving each other tips. Everybody's helping each other out with recipes and contacts. It's just this big whole wonderful community you know and i love it it fits me perfectly because i like to help and i obviously need help a lot of times too and and i think it goes you know it goes hand in hand it's the same thing beer and the music it's the same thing and it's wonderful yeah i i have this theory that so the way i found out about in flames was i had this little store called curmudgeon music and there was literally a sign on horacle and it said for fans of At The Gates. And yeah, okay. So that, and my, my theory is essentially that what happened is there was all these metalheads that got into Slaughter the Soul, but then they broke up right away. Yeah. And and then also Carcass, who, who to me, I think in a way set the table with melodic death metal on, you know, yeah. on artwork. They both broke up right around the same time and there was this big void. And then you guys showed up with Horacle. And it was almost like, yeah. but not only was the record great, but it's like, oh, they're going on tour. And then we could see you. And because mm -hmm. we couldn't see those bands, or at least, you know, obviously, I think At The Gates did, I think, two tours in the States. And then Carcass did a bunch of tours. But um, at that at that time was, you know, broken up. But, like, do you feel like you kind of capitalized off of at the gates, you know, going away. I never thought about it. Uh, actually, I I never, like I said before, <laughs> none of us really stopped and, and thought about why we were doing it. We just we had a good time. We never really thought about it. We, I, I mean, I guess you could say we were at the right right uh, place at the right time. So, and that might definitely have something to do with it. But I like to see that if I like to think that if these fans were still around. They would have opened up the market even more because it took some, it took a bunch of years before we actually were able to to go out and play decent decent shows. Um, and I think that you know I I think that even if they would still be around, I think that um, uh, I would have been around at that time. I think that um, all of the bands like us and Soilwork and Dark Tranquility and Arch Enemy, obviously Mike would have had to quit Carcass to start Arch Enemy, but you know, I think we would all have still been around, but we would have been together with At The Gates because that's the mentality of the Swedish mentality, you know? Yeah. You know, so th that's how I'd like to think about it. But you, you never know. Obviously, it helped. They had cleared the path for us a little bit, definitely. Yeah, it was, um, I don't know. I, I was, I think about that time period for, for me personally, and I was 
you know, 17, 18. And when you're that age, all you do is just, you're like a, you know, a garbage compactor for, <laughs> for stuff and you just absorb everything, Yeah, you know? And it was, and I was lucky being in New Jersey because we had like the store I mentioned, but there was this other store called Vintage Vinyl. You guys probably did a signing there, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, they, you know, before the internet was really a place where you could buy music and find things, you had to get it in person. And they had, so I got the first Children of Bodom on import. I got the first Darkane album on import just because I was lucky enough to have a store that had that that stuff. And in in a lot of ways, that's why we were ended up being one of the first American bands to kind of adopt that style. Because we happen to live in a place where we could access the music and steal the wrist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I definitely that's but that's how everybody inspired, I like to I like to call it. I always, usually when I'm doing the show, I'll kind of take people through the whole career and kind of talk about that. But you know, to be to be truthful, I, I don't think it really serves us to go through every kind of period. I, I think it's I'm sure <laughs> oh, you're what's that? We could sit for a while then. It's a listen. It's a it's it's a it's a long time. You know, usually I'll I'll I'll, I'll reminisce. You know, um, you know the one thing that I think the listeners would be interested to hear. The only time God forbid ever went to Japan was with In Flames. Yeah, one of my my greatest memories. Um, obviously the first time being in Japan, but it was also with In Flames and Kamira, uh, good friends, great great bands. And um, no man, it's it's what's that. That was a great time. It was. It, unfortunately, we didn't get to do all the shows. We only did the the Tokyo shows. Like that's one of those things. Like I said, when you're young and you're into a band and it's it's groundbreaking for you, and then all of a sudden now you're in that league. You know yeah. that that's such a a, a big moment. I'm sure, like you guys, when you you know perhaps when you toured with Slayer or something like sure. that. I always think about the time we toured with Slayer a couple of times. And it's one of my all-time favorite bands. And uh, the first time was uh, 2002, I think, uh, in America with uh, Soulfly and Down the Sun. And we just, I was one of the best tours I've ever done, hands down. You know, they were all so nice to us and helped us out with everything we needed. And I just loved it. I mean, do you ever, do you think about kind of the legacy of the band and kind of that that global impact is it is it something you can even kind of even quantify or is it too too kind of crazy to think about it's hard to think of i mean i don't it's hard to picture i i i consider myself just a normal dude you know yeah that's not i guess i guess but um i never think about it but when i meet people who tell stuff like this to me uh I tried to take it in. It's really hard because, you know, I just, I, all I ever wanted to do was to have fun and play music. I never thought about myself being an influential musician or, or somebody that somebody would look, look up to. So when I get this, it's, it's kind of, it's obviously very cool to hear and very flattering, but I never think about it like that, you know? Uh, and I, I think it's, I don't know. I just, I just don't ever think about it. Well, I, I just think, like certain bands, like I, and I go back to this what I said before about consistency, right? Mm-hmm. Some bands have their moment and it lasts a year or two. Some bands have their moment and it lasts ten years, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you and but you guys, it was just the like, and I think when the consistency becomes something that lasts one or two decades, then all of a sudden the, the band is no longer a band. The band is is an institution. Yeah, you know, like I, I put a band like Hatebreed in that, um, in that boat. You know, um, I'm sure there's a, a handful like of other bands, like you know, a band like Madball. You know, in the in the hardcore scene or or something. You know, we think about bands, bands like Motorhead, who people don't remember. Motorhead was never the biggest band. They were never an arena band. They were never, but they were consistent and they became an institution. You know, yeah, and and I think you know. When I hear about the stuff you're doing now, I think the thing that um, a band, what doing a band does is essentially you're an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. And like, do you, do you think about that, how your experience, 
just kind of starting your own business and doing your own thing lends you to now do these other businesses? Yeah, of course, definitely. I'm very grateful for everything. You know, I, I think I've said the word grateful a hundred times, but I am. That's good. I'm extremely grateful for all of my life and where, where it has taken me. But I think that uh, a lot of it is uh, is hard work, of course. A lot of it is, it is being at the, the right uh, place at the right time. But I think also that, like you said, uh, you have to, you're, you're an entrepreneur and you have to be able to think outside the box to do the things that you'd like to do, no matter whichever business you'd like to do them in. Um, and I think that um, doing what we do now with the brewery, starting everything from scratch, it's it's really humbling to do that uh, because you you know it's a lot of hard work. Hard work. We'll go up early in the morning. We'll go out to the brewery. We make the beer. It takes a long time. We uh, we take care of the beer during the fermentation process. We bottle the beer or keg it. We we sell it to the to the the stores and the um, restaurants and we deliver it and we do all of that ourselves because we like to be with it all the time we like to stay uh, throughout the whole course obviously this is not going to work when when or if uh, the beer uh, beer business becomes bigger for us but at, at this time this is something we'd like to do um, and i think it's it makes us I don't know, it makes us feel happy about what we're doing instead of just licensing something away, putting our name on it and letting somebody else brew it. We actually do everything ourselves. And I think that, that that's very, um, a lot of people think, why do you do that? You could always hire somebody. Yeah, but it wouldn't be the same. You know, it's, it's um, a craftsmanship, same like music, you know, it's, it's all of these are the same thing. You're, you're an artist or, or, you know, you like, and you compose something. Or you create something like a like a chef or a brewer in this instance, and I think it's um, it makes both me and Daniel very happy having this brewery right now. This is what we want to do, and, and we're super psyched about. It. So I hope we get to ship over to America in the future. Yeah, man, I think that would be that would be amazing, and it's 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 inspiring to to, to hear because I think in a lot of ways, if you look at many of the newer businesses, it is about being more personal. And yeah. and making things, you know, I think it, it can be anything, right? It's not necessarily about the product itself. It's just about, you know, and this is, I think, almost what's kind of cool about the the technology thing. Like you look at something like uh, Yelp, right? Where people, the the customer is active in the product, you know, and yeah. and the people who make it can be receptive to their needs, and address it, and especially when you're doing it on a, on a on a personal level, you know I think that's really you know people are in in many ways you're you're seeing people are are a little more willing to maybe to pay a little more for something that they know where the person on the other end gives a shit. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think so at least you know uh, if if they can afford it, of course. Uh, but we don't. I mean, I, I would of course we want to make a living out of this, you know, and, and create a totally new business. But again, going back to the music, that's not why we started this. We started this because it's it's fun, you know? This is something we'd like to do. Right on, man. Same thing with a new band, you know? The, I like to mention that Syra, it's called. I'll, I'll, How do you spell that? I'll send you the spelling. D-Y-H-R-A. Okay. So you can look uh, look us up, Syra Official, on Instagram and Facebook and uh, .com And um, Is there any music out there for people to listen to? Not yet. No, we're recording right now. Uh, uh, drums are done as most guitar parts are done and I'm going to start bass soon and vocals soon and um, it's going to come out I guess uh, uh, October, November that's something I really want to want to mention and of course the brewery check out us on uh, oddisland.se for Sweden SE, or Odd Island Brewing uh, on uh, Instagram or Facebook to see because we, we you know we're pretty personal and it's um you can see our our way of making beer. Right on, man. I think that that'll do it, man. Really, thank you so much for for coming on. And uh, sure. people definitely will want to hear from you. We all will all miss you on the road, but it's amazing to see that you're you're still doing music. You're yeah. you're, you're still working with. You know, it's you know, it, it's. I think it, the thing that's beautiful about all this is that the relationships we have being in a band that those are lifetime relationships and you're still working with 
those those people that you were working with with the band and you're you know you you seem happy and productive and it's um definitely I'm I, I'm I'm happy for you I'm inspired I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna start me a brewery today. Do it, do it. <laughs> now I gotta say that I'm cooking a lot of stuff, uh, music and and uh, other stuff because like I said, it makes me happy. And I I'm like I'm when we're wrapping it up and I'm saying everything, it seems like I want to do advertising for everything. But I mean, just just follow me on Instagram and you'll see everything that I do. All the artists that I collab with and all the all the other other shenanigans that I'm getting involved with these days. So that was my discussion with Peter Iwers from Inflames or ex-member of Inflames. I want to thank him so much for coming on, um, especially since he was the one that reached out to me after I reached out to him. And, you know, he took his time. He's a, he's a busy guy. He's a family guy. And that that was incredible. Uh, thank you so much, Peter. And for you guys to check out some of the stuff he mentioned, uh, his brewery that he has with the ex-drummer from Inflames, Daniel, is called Odd Island Brewing. That's O-D-D. There was some confusion during the interview. And you can check that out on Instagram. He actually implores you to check his stuff out through his his Instagram. And his new band that he has with Jesper, the ex-guitar player from Inflames, uh, is called Syra, And that's C-Y-H-R-A. There's no music available yet, but I told him I would play a song when there was one that was available. So... Anyway, check that stuff out. Also want to thank my buddy Blake Bunzel, who did some editing and helped me out with the audio to try and rescue the show. And I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, the show is growing. That is amazing. I'm going to keep working on it because I love it. And, you know, things are in the works. Thank you, guys. Mamba out. Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.